0: Arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis, in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane, in 10 bulky gunny sacks, are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast spawn by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home.
1: Thursday, 4 a.m. Too early to call it quits and too late to try and flop. The arthritis was making my fingers feel like leftover jello. And the last 12 butts turned my mouth as dry as cotton candy. I knew it was time to move in before I lost my appetite. Name's Gillis. Luther. hail from St. Louis. I usually don't take cases out of town, but times are tough. Not like after the war. Everyone was looking for someone then. Even had a partner. Had... Chucky bought it outside a diamond dance joint in San Jose back in 63. I've been on my own ever since.
0: Luther Gillis is a throwback, but one of my favorite characters in the original Magnum P.I. starring Tom Selleck. How aggravating and full of cliches is Luther Gillis, played by Eugene Roach on Magnum P.I.? This is the type of character I like to play off of Matthias Jones. Jerry St. Clair could be Luther Gillis's cousin. Luther and Jerry think they know it all and sometimes they get it right, but most of the time they're stumbling through the episode. I would say they exist in a bubble with thoughts and precepts known only unto themselves. Jones with Jerry popping up in weird places heads for New York Because something's going on with Wilma and her friend from youth, Flowey, up in New York. And the name Kandu keeps coming up with Coco and the mob. It's always a good idea to have Coco and Jones working together because of the interaction. Because Jones has taken the place of Coco's missing brother, Anthony. Here is episode four, Murder at Toby Lake by Robert P. Fitton. Starting right at this exact moment. Murder at Toby Lake by R.P. Fitton. Chapter 15 The white sails on the blue expanse of the Charles River provided a dynamic panorama from the 17th floor of the High Tower Building. Cars crossed the bridges into Boston and Cambridge. Both sides of the river pulsed with heavy traffic. Jones picked up the coffee cup and looked into Coco's dark eyes. So, Fiore works for who? He's under a uh, gentleman from Rhode Island who controls New England, Jonesy. I know this man from when I was checking into some things in Rhode Island. I occasionally deal with Mr. Fiore. Most people leave me alone in Prince William. Unless they need something. And Fiore owns this building. One of many. They've got real estate down the coast. And other adventures. Yeah, other adventures. A short man, hair thick and dark, graying on the sides, strode deliberately past the hostess. His trapezoid face tapered outward, producing slit-like eyes. Three men trailed behind, but remained by the hostess. The man wore a navy suit with a red silk handkerchief neatly tucked in his coat pocket. Jones stood along with Coco. Mr. Fiore! Fiore nodded and still had not smiled. He turned to Jones. His hand was wide and smooth. Mr. Jones, will you apologize for any rough treatment? I have to protect my interest. His sparkling blue eyes seemed incongruous with his reputation. A dark-bearded stubble had been shaved closely. I'm Albert Fiore. Matthias Jones. Please sit down now, Mr. Fiore. You, Matthias, Matt, you're unusually persistent about this Davis thing. Let me uh, take this opportunity to let you know I had nothing to do with his murder. Oh, we phoned the death threats into him, but I didn't kill him. Coco stared at Fiore as if he knew Fiore was lying. Jones cleared his throat. Did your men fire shots at me and Zoe Wilmont at Toby Lake? "Eh, I don't know anything about that either, Matt. He bit his lower lip as he pondered Jones's words. Interesting, the killer probably wants you out of this. What's your connection to Davis? asked Jones. (laughs) Matt, Jones raised his brows. Davis was out of his mind. He was at the slipper all the time. He became obsessed with one of the girls from what I hear. Couldn't get enough. I mean, it was sick. We all like the woman, don't we, Matt? Yeah, well, see, Davis had the Fletcher family by the here. I think he would have delivered on all that genetic stuff, profits for the family, so they gave him the house, the use of the yacht. My people don't think he killed Davis. I'd pay a reward out, though, to find out who did. What are you saying, Mr. Fury? I don't want to be associated with this murder. The feds would love it. "'Find the murderer and I'll get you twenty-five grand in cash.' "'Oh, really, Mr. Fury, I'll find the murderer, but I don't need a reward. "'There's a reward there, whether you want it or not.' Jones stood back. "'Davis went out on a small boat before he was murdered. "'Short trip north of Hamilton Bay. "'You wouldn't know anything about that, would you?' "'I don't know anything about Davis and this boat run.' "'Fury smiled for a millisecond. "'No more questions about my connections to Davis.' Keep me out of it. Jones drove the Jeep up the long stretch of highway toward New Hampshire. Coco finished a call with Club Max and turned to Jones. Gabe is laying low. Good. You're lucky you're alive, Jonesy. I put this right on the doorstep of that idiot St. Clair. Jones shook his head as he drove. Well, Jerry's long gone. He better be gone, Jonesy. What about Fiore? I can't tell you what he's up to. I should remind you of what they call him, the master. He has a certain expertise to get things done. He doesn't want his organization to be caught up in whatever was going on up there. Are you saying he's innocent? No, I'm not saying that at all. I think his people are linked to Davis's murder because Davis hung out at the slipper. And then he was murdered, and Fiore doesn't want to be blamed. Jones veered onto the road to New Hampshire. Coco stroked his chin. His profile had not changed, but when he turned, his brow was still swollen under the band-aid. Why kill Davis? Well, I'm sure he made enemies. Fiori talks a good game, Jonesy, but somebody set up Pollard. Coco leaned back in the seat. I say the boat trip was a drug trip for Fiori. It's obvious. You can run up a tab real quick dealing with these people. I make it a practice to stay clear of the operation. Well, they sure wanted to make sure if you knew anything, you'd keep your mouth shut. Bingo, but I don't know nothing. He placed a quick call to someone named Dulio. Then he mentioned a vessel owned by PW Cargo called the Santana. I want you to bring me down to the docks when we get to Prince William, right off Canal Street. I'll show you the boat when I get there. What about yourself? There's a ship to shore that will connect to landlines. I'll get you the connection number. Are you sailing somewhere? Maybe. I hope you see how serious this is, Jonesy. Jones pulled out the page from Irene's notebook. Here are all the cars that showed up at the lake house since the Nickersons arrived. you kidding. I'll get these traced. Good work, Jonesy. Let's stay clear of Fiore and the cops. That, my friend, will not be easy to do. Jones sat in Tom McGill's office at the Enterprise. McGill's sleeves were rolled up and a stack of paperwork filled both sides of his desk. I'm telling you, Matthias, as I told Hamilton Fletcher, I never authorized Jerry to be investigating anything. Rebecca can verify this. Tom, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. All I know is that Jerry put me at risk a dozen times. McGill half smiled. Jerry is a uh, an aggressive reporter. You think that's funny? No, no, Jerry just goes at full throttle. Yeah, he sure does. Rebecca leaned in the doorway. Excuse me, Tom, this mail just arrived. Jones reached out and she handed him the envelope. He slid it to McGill's desk. Thank you, Rebecca. It's so good to have you back, Tom. Well, it's good to be back, I think. McGill used a letter opener to cut through the 9x12 envelope. Then he put on his reading glasses. He stared at the front of the envelope. That's Jerry's writing. McGill pulled out a half a dozen papers. Wow. What is it, a full confession of stupidity from birth? "'You remember Hamilton Fletcher grabbed him from Cornell?' "'Right,' said Jones, gazing out at the common. "'Only a couple of cars passed by, and some are students sunned on the common grass. "'Listen to this.' "'Where did he get this?' "'Now, let me guess. Gordy.' "'McGill nodded. Gordy can dig up anything. "'Not far from Cornell, something happened with Wilmot's best friend at Harrison's Cabins.' "'What do you mean?' "'Gordy says the Wilmot family summered in the Finger Lakes region.' at Harrison's cabins on Lake Cayuga. Right, Jerry said that. Jones gazed past the stone clock tower to the Marlborough Inn's white claboids across the common. Wilmot had lived at the inn since last September. Well, what happened, Tom? Her friend's name was Florence Albright. They called her Flowey. Gordy says whatever happened ruined Flowey's life. I'm getting this over to George Strickland. Jones winced at Jerry's success and then shook his head. So what happened in New York? Well, maybe Jerry's working on it. It must have to do with Davis. I didn't see that. It's a side road theory. Jerry writes a personal note. He says his reporter's instinct tells him it must have been an assault on Floyd. Jerry's instincts. Jones picked up the envelope. This is postmark from Hamilton. He's here. McGill studied the postmark. Then he picked up the phone. Maybe he's still at the end. Who are you calling? He asked Jones, fearing fury. Marge at the Marlboro. Hello, Marge. Yeah, Tom McGill. How's the summer business? Good, good. Yeah, is Jerry St. Clair back in his room? No. no, I was away, and I had nothing to do with those articles. I'm preparing retractions as we speak. The T-bird? Yeah, when? Okay, thanks so much. What did she say? He was there for a while. The Teabird left about an hour ago. I still can't believe Jerry made that jump. Well, he jumped out of a 727 once. Jones stood. He placed his hands on McGill's desk and leaned over. Why the hell would you jump out of a commercial airliner? He said he wanted to prove that D.B. Cooper could have jumped out of that plane back in 71 with the cash. Jones stood upright, closed his eyes, and shook his head. I thought he was D.B. Cooper. He was hung up on a tree for 48 hours last June. Yeah, who found him, Bigfoot? McGill laughed. (laughs) He did that now? How old is he? Early 80s. Aren't you upset with him, Tom? Ah, I'm used to it. It's the final result I care about. My question is, what trouble is he up to now? I don't know. I have to get the paper out. I have quite a page one exclusive, said McGill, passing him on the way to Rebecca's desk. Yeah, okay, Jerry. Oh, I wish we'd all gone to Maine. Jones left the Enterprise building through the glass door in the rear corridor. He hurried across the parking lot and up the small hill to the Marlborough Inn. Over the last two days, he had numerous side-road theories about Wilmot. Maybe that was the problem. The theories had diverted him from her guilt. More exasperating was the quirky Jerry, always two steps ahead of him, and with a mouth big enough to drive an 18-wheeler through. Hello, Margie," he said, entering the towel lobby's air conditioning. The brunette Margie's hair looked freshly permed. If you come to ask about Jerry Matthias, I've come to ask about Doctor Wilmont. Well, she's gone too. Did she say where she was going? I overheard her placing a call to AAA here this morning, right in the lobby. She was confirming picking up road maps of New York. They brought out her bags to the Audi don't know how they fit all that stuff inside. I asked her where she was headed. She said, quote, I'm going to get in that car, Mrs. Bassett. She called me Mrs. Bassett. And I'm going to drive, drive, drive until I can't drive no more. Wow. She never said anything like that to me when I was with her yesterday. I didn't know you two were dating. No, don't start any more rumors, please. Who, me? You. If you see either of them, please give me a call. Yes, sir. Jones retreated outside. He stood with his hands on his hips under the Marlborough's huge columns. Not pursuing the Wilmont side road theory, when he had the chance, might have let her get away with murder. He punched in the number Coco had given him. Shipped ashore. Jones put in his credit card. Risky if they checked. Then Coco's express code. The connection was hollow. Wilmont, she left town, I'm pretty sure for New York. I think Wilmont used Pollard to get next to Davis.
1: Yeah, so she could kill him. Exactly. Wait, Jonesy, hold it. Why go through all that crap with the kayak? Why frame Pollard's for no reason? Get my drift? You only frame somebody when you want to screw in. This makes no sense.
0: So she wouldn't be caught.
1: Nah, I'm not buying it. Why wouldn't
0: she have just killed the scum? That swings back to Fiore. It sure as hell does. Are you where I left you? The call ended and Jones hurried back to his house after Strickland asked him to meet him at Sal's Grill. From the common, his white colonial looked smooth. As he moved along the side of the house again, the cracked paint and signs of mildew caught his eye. For a second he thought of painting the house himself. Then he shook his head and checked the fence along the shore road. The pothole where Carl had sprained his ankle was finally filled in and patched over with fresh asphalt. No, Bud, you run the highway maintenance. I just wanted to thank you for filling in that hole on Shore Road. I hit it with my bike several times.
1: Yeah, well, you better keep your eyes on the road.
0: Maybe, but my assistant coach twisted his ankle in that hole a few days ago. What the hell are you talking about? Asked Bud. I had my men cap that hole last week. Where have you been? Okay, okay. Get your facts straight, will you? Okay, I'm just trying to thank you. Bud hung up. Jones stared at the phone as Strickland carried his vanilla ice-cream cone out of the restaurant. ''Bud, the highway maintenance? What a disagreeable jerk!'' Jones grasped the cone and headed over to the picnic tables. ''No, he was that way even when he drove trucks for the department. I think he takes pills in the morning so he can be pissed off all day.'' Jones licked the vanilla ice-cream, fully packed into the sugar cone. The wind blew up from the bay and across the picnic tables outside of Sal's grill. During lunch, Strickland had hammered Jones about his trip to Boston, but Jones spoke in generalities and emphasized unimportant parts of the trek southward. We've been out to Pollard's apartment, and Strickland drank the open milkshake. Nothing of value, school notebooks, nothing. That course where Wilmont coordinated her with Davis. Not there, Strickland cell rang. George Strickland. Ah, oh, Kevin, yeah. What's the story with Wilmont? Good. Well, how far can she get? That's what Matthias said, New York. She's very bright, George. Sure. I'll extend it into New York. Right. You tell Herbert if he spends less time at the Prince William Inn and more time in his office, we might have the right people in custody. No, I'm not blaming you, Kevin. No. Okay. Yes, I'll ask. Goodbye. What happened in Harrison's cabins? Something that ruined Wilmot's best friend's life. What else? Where's Coco? I have no idea where he is. Jones pictured the Santana moving out of Prince William Harbor. Kevin has men staking out Club Max. I shouldn't even tell you that. Well, I'm sure you'll find him. Now I have information that Jerry St. Clair had the Nickersons in Revere, Massachusetts. Now they're gone, and so is Jerry. No, McGill called the Marlboro. I guess he was there this morning. Well, he'll be arrested on the spot when he comes back. Good. Amy Pollard languished in a Prince William jail cell because Wilmot had allowed her to get involved with Davis. Jones had called Wilmot three times just to let her know he was after her. I have Nigel Kent and Hamilton Fletcher all over my case, Matthias. Hamilton is demanding that we wrap this thing up. Jones looked out to the bay. Sure, even if Amy Pollard is convicted on Herbert Lane's phony test results, I understand that, but there's not much I can do about it. I'm sick and tired of Hamilton Fletcher covering his own fanny. The point is that they brought that wild man Davis to the college and put up with his shenanigans purely for money. Wilmot made the arrangement to teach here only when Hamilton Fletcher bringing him in made the wire services. Strickland put his elbows on the table. Well, I know Amy Pollitt isn't telling us everything, and I also know she has no alibi. We need to go over to Parkview Apartments and ask around. Well, Arnie lives at Parkview. On the other hand, maybe we won't go to Parkview Apartments. Follow my cruiser, Matthias. I'll meet you over there, George. Jones not only had the urge to tell Strickland about Fiori, but he felt a moral duty. Yet mentioning anything to Strickland could not only cost him his life, but they would also track down Coco. Not helping Amy Pollard by divulging the Fiori information also caused him tremendous guilt. Arnie Dewar stood blabbering to Strickland outside the cruiser in front of a long row of townhouse apartments. Matthias! said Arnie in his blue Dewar's lumber shirt as he stepped away from Strickland. He lit a cigarette. Heard you guys need some help. As I said, Arnie, said Strickland, we just have a few questions. Arnie banged Jones's elbow. Case has got you stumped, huh? You see the Pollard girl here with anyone? Nah, the Buckster says he did, Did I think he asked her out. Jones rolled his eyes. Bucky lives in this complex, asked Strickland, opening his eyes at Jones. Nah, he's trying to get in. He's on the waiting list, but he parties a lot over here. You never saw Pollard, Arnie? Nope. What about Professor Wilmont? Don't know. She drove a white Audi, said Strickland. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Audi. When? All the time. What about the day of the murder? Two days ago, yeah. Isn't that when Davis was knocked off? Yeah, that's right, Arnie. What time did you see the car? Lunchtime. The car drove towards Shore Road around three o'clock. Jones leaned out the window of his Jeep. Thought you said it was lunchtime. Long lunch, Arnie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it in the car? Don't know. What about the yellow focus? Parked out front here all the time. That's very helpful, Arnie. Arnie placed his hand near his mouth. Heard the guy was a real stud. Yeah, that's nice, Arnie, but we're here for other reasons. Too raunchy for you, huh? No, Arnie, we're talking about murder. He hit Jones' shoulders. Come on, Matthias, don't be a prude. Strickland smirked and slouched against the cruiser. Then he walked Jones a few feet away. My guess is Fiori is in this more than we think. Too many people are in that lake house. Jones shrugged his shoulders. Matthias, why do I get the impression you know more about this than what you're saying? Who, me? Fiori's admonition about keeping quiet echoed inside his head. Who cares about Fiori with Wilmont looking more and more guilty? I think it was a professional job. What makes you say that, George? The timing. I think somebody sent Paulette over there to be framed. Yet she refuses to talk about it. Arnie edged his way over. Hey, Matthias, I heard you were looking for somebody to paint your house. I'm all set, Arnie, said Jones, still considering Fiori's role in the murder. I'm sure I'll find somebody. Muddy Jacobs! Jones did a double take. He works at the dump. He's not a painter. Muddy's got paint in his blood. Jones looked at Strickland. It's not all he has in his blood. He turned back to Arnie. It's not a priority right now. Thanks anyways, Arnie. Your house is peeling. I did an inspection. You what? What are you doing on my property? Come on, Muddy needs a work. Muddy is a work in progress. Matthias, look, I'll call Muddy. No, don't bother, Strickland faced Jones. I don't like the fact that Wilmot left down the shore road after three. She could have pulled it off, George.
1: Murder at Toby Lake by R.P. Fitton Chapter 16
0: Jones and Franny sat in the front booth at the Colonial House. She had just closed down the restaurant, and they both ate a breakfast at a late hour. The commons' quietude contrasted with the influx of students during the academic year. Let me think this through, Matthias, said Franny. Ask me Davis, who did something to Floy He probably assaulted her. Well, how do I prove that now, Franny? Franny sipped the coffee. You find Floey. Yeah, witnesses to what happened. She nodded. What are you going to do? If I go to New York, I don't necessarily find her. Coach, you don't have to. Talk to the people up there. I have every confidence you'll find something. You're very nice, Franny. I know that, she said, smiling. By the way, Jackie can get Father Gallagher's tickets whenever he's ready. Yeah, leaving Coach Jones to watch the game on TV. "'Don't worry,' she said, tapping his wrist. "'We're all going.' "'Well, bring your glove, Franny. "'You never know when something might be coming your way.' "'I can catch. "'I played on the Hamilton High softball team.' "'Really?' "'And basketball. "'My brother Chaz went to Hamilton.' "'Oh, did he play for Lark?' "'Well, Lark wouldn't start him. "'He said he refused to do the razzle-dazzle.' "'Really?' "'He transferred to Purdue and played three years, "'almost made All-American.' Wow, said Jones, finishing his orange juice. Let me get you some more juice, Matthias, she said as she stood. Chaz was all state, said Franny, filling a new glass. And Lark wouldn't start him? Well, let's just say, she said, placing the new glass in front of him. Jones' cell phone rang. Excuse me, Jones. Hey. Hey. Franny brought the dishes to the back room. Jonesy why would you do that if you are going to kill the guy? asked Jones. Better yet, what the hell were they talking about? I don't know. Jonesy, let's remember something. Fiore is having a conniption fit
1: about Davis' murder. Davis cooperated with that boat run up the river. He has to be involved in some way. In Paradise, she was murdered by Fiore's
0: thugs because she probably knew something about that boat run. Franny sat down and balanced her chin on her raised arms and knuckles. Well, Davis must have known it was Fiore, because he was headed right for the slipper. Yeah, right, right.
1: I'm sure Davis knew who killed Paradise. Maybe. Uh, maybe nothing. They didn't take
0: him out. They had somebody take him out. Maybe it was Wilmot. I don't know. What about the other plates? More Fiori cards, Jonesy. With Wilmot in the middle of it all. That settles it. I'm going to New York. It's summer, I have plenty of time before football starts. Franny raised her thumbs up. Just don't tell nobody, Jonesy. Nobody.
1: Soon Fury is watching you even now. Leave in the middle of the night.
0: Good advice.
1: I'll talk to you.
0: Jones put the phone in his pocket and drank the orange juice. Mum's the word, said Franny. It has to be, replied Jones as they stood. She placed the empty glass on the food rack, and then they headed for the door. The balmy night air had a slight breeze, Stars shined through an indefinite haze as they started down to her house on Main Street. Coco was right about him possibly being watched, but Jones saw no one around the common at this hour. He said nothing as they moved up her front walk. Fury scared him, and Wilmot eluded him. Franny turned and hugged him. Please be careful. Well, you're the only one who knows about this, Franny. If I don't check in every night, you need to call Gallagher and tell him the whole deal. Understood, coach, she said, saluting. We'll all be at Fenway in August. Jones nodded and realized just how unnerved he had become. I sure hope so. Jones crossed the Connecticut River and then the Hudson in New York. He finished his chicken sandwich near noon and headed south on the interstate. Again, he attempted to construct a composite of Brad Davis's actions at the cabins along the lake. Given Davis's behavior, Jones suspected Zoe's best friend was at the worst murdered by Davis. Other possibilities included rape or assault. Zoe Wilmont had applied to teach at Hamilton College just when Brad Davis was hired. Maybe she had stalked Davis and sought the ultimate revenge. Harrison's cabins dotted a tree-lined grass slope next to the adjacent lake and the winding rural highway. Jones checked the cars parked in each cabin drive but did not see Wilmont's Audi. Several vans and a truck were parked down the hill near picnic tables, a swing set, and smoking barbecue grills. Jones pulled under the carport. He stretched and looked down the hill toward the lake and took two steps forward. Jerry's t was parked diagonally to one of the cabins. He ran forward in less than a half a minute he pounded on the wood door. Open up, Jerry, open up! Jones cupped his hand on the darkened window but saw no movement inside. Then he started back up the hill to the carport and office. A little gray-haired man with glasses appeared at the counter. painted green and brown plywood map contained brass hooks for the cabin keys. Only two cabins still had keys hanging. He walked by a full rack of pamphlets and advertising for the local and state attractions, and a large red no-smoking sign. May I help you, sir? Is Jerry St. Clair staying here? No St. Clair here. Well, who owns the Tea bird asked Jones, looking down the hill. Oh, that would be Mr. Rogers. Let me guess. His first name is Fred. Yeah, that's what he said. Jones shook his head. Where is he? Should be in his cabin. What about Zoe Wilmont? Asked Jones. You a cop? Investigating a murder in New Hampshire. The man stared at him and then looked away. No, Zoe. Thanks. You getting a cabin? I'm not sure yet. Jones walked back to the carport. He should have figured that Jerry would show up here. Down the hill... Jerry, cigarette-plunked in his mouth, peering in windows, moved between the cabins. Jones still believed Wilmot would have headed to New York, but the Audi was nowhere in sight. "'She's not here, Jerry,' he said in a loud voice. Jerry never turned, but wrote something in his notebook. "'You're late.' "'I shouldn't even be talking to you. What are you writing now?' "'The open cabins.' "'You can check the keys on the hooks behind the desk.' Jerry looked up, probably realizing he had overlooked the obvious." She'll be here. This is where Flowie Albright was attacked. Now, how do you know that? Dig, Jones, dig. Hit the local newspapers, police reports, get the story. Jones stared at the older Jerry. You've done all that? I know what happened up here, Jones. Or what happened? Confidential. Uh, Jerry, I'm not going to exactly broadcast this to the world. Jerry moved up the porch to the next cabin and looked in the window. Then he wrote in his notebook. Fiori's paws are all over what happened at the lake house. Well, we agree on that, but I don't understand Wilmont. I don't think she did the kayak routine to kill Davis. Well, that's a rookie remark. Okay, then you tell me what happened. Mr. X. And it was a mister. No broad is going to cross that lake. A woman of capable... You're a wuss. Then who got the gun out of Pollard's apartment? Wilmont had the key. Doesn't mean she moved the weapon. Do you ever consider that somebody broke into that apartment or maybe stole Wilmont's key? Fine, but the same person did two things. Wiped the area clean of prints and got Pollard to go over to the lake house. She's not saying, but I'm telling you the murderer was a dummy. Oh, really? Oh, he's analyzed the best way of committing a crime and then poke holes in the execution. Mr. X should have left Pollard's prints on the piece. Well, how did Pollard get the gun anyways? Wilmot. How do you know that? I asked. Who? Confidential. I do have a witness. No, you don't. Pollard, and this is conjecture, needed protection. And Wilmot knew all about Davis from what happened right here on this lake. Wilmot is scared to death that they'll finger her for knocking off Davis. They walked toward Jerry's cabin. Did you talk to her? Don't have to. It all adds up. Okay, if we take your conjecture forward, Jerry, Mr. X is connected to Fiore. Exactly. Jerry opened the cabin door with his green tag key. You're welcome to stay here, Jones. Save yourself some coin. I'm not sleeping here with you. This has been a wild goose chase. I'm not even sure Wilmont will show up here. She'll be here. And how do you know that? I know people, Jones. Call it instinct. Your father had it. How do you know about my father? I have my own contacts. I checked you out. Jones shook his head and looked out the window. Okay, I'll use my instinct. That little boat run by Davis, why would it have to be drugs? Jerry lit another cigarette. Now you're using your head. Jones sat on an Adirondack chair on his cabin porch. The glow from Jerry's cigarette was visible 100 feet away down the hill, and Jones could smell tobacco smoke. He thought about the kayak. The kayak could easily have been launched from the spillway concrete. In theory, Wilmont could have performed the feat. She had proved she could not only cross the lake, but paddle with him in the kayak. Why would she have to test the kayak scenario if she were the killer, unless her performance was for his benefit to divert the side road theory? On some level, he was in awe of Jerry's ability to uncover facts, figures, and solid documents. He actually believed he had learned operationally from Jerry. He yawned and he slowly drifted off. "'Wake up, sunshine!' said Jerry, snapping his fingers. He had the New York Times and the local morning newspaper, the Daily Gazette in one hand, a cigarette in his mouth, and a coffee holder with a bag in his other hand. "'Oh, what time is it, Jerry?' Five o'clock. Come on, Jerry. Here, have a little caffeine. It'll wind you up.' "'Caffeine. Now it all makes sense,' he said, taking the warm coffee cup. "'Thank you. I hope you like the chocolate mega-glazed donuts.' "'Sure.' Sugar Rush will get that brain of yours into gear. Jones took the second bag out of his hand. How do you know where to get breakfast up here in the middle of nowhere? Been on assignment up here before they built the interstate. Jones just stared at him. Are you really in your 80s? I'm 83. I'm prepared to tell you right now about Mr. X. I knew you'd come around, said Jerry as he began removing his coat, then his shirt. What the hell are you doing, Jerry? Morning swim. He said, standing in his tank top, undershirt and his bathing suit, Jones stood and stretched. What are you going to do, swim the lake? I've been swimming this lake since the days gone by. Yeah, did they have swimming during the Civil War? You're being a wise ass, doesn't help our investigation. It's not our investigation. He pointed at Jones. Face reality, Jones. Jerry turned and removed his shoes, then he jogged toward the lake. Jones stood with the donut in his hand with his mouth open as he saw Jerry remove his undershirt and dive into the lake. He began a rapid arm movement out across the surface. The morning sun warmed the humid air sufficiently to produce a soothing haze. Jones could easily settle back in one of the hammocks strung between the trees along the playground. Jerry incredibly continued swimming. His cell phone rang. Jones, Arnie? He said, taking a sip of coffee. Arnie, what do you want? Muddy's already started the job. Jones' eyes opened wider. What job? For a P.I., you ain't got no memory. Arnie, I'm not a P.I. The signal drifted for a moment, and Jones thought he heard Arnie say something about Muddy painting his house. Did you say Muddy Jacobs is painting my house? You don't listen too good, do you? The front is all set, and he's moving around the side. Hey, I really don't want Muddy Jacobs painting my house. Gonna give you a flat price, right Muddy?
1: Yeah, Muddy says flat price rather than by the hour. Better pay Muddy on time or he'll paint it white again.
0: Jones sat up. What do you mean, paint it white again?
1: Well, sort of a, hey Mud, Mud, what color did it come out? Yeah, it's probably it's, it's pink.
0: Jones heard Muddy yell something in the background. It was supposed to be salmon, but I guess it's pink. Pink! I heard that! Jones leaped up from the hammock. You tell him I want that house white.
1: Ah, sorry, I can't hear you. By the way, you
0: owe me money for the paint. I owe you nothing, Arnie. Fix that color, he said as the signal faulted again. Arnie? Hello, Arnie. Arnie. The transmission ended and Jones closed his eyes. Jerry moved farther out across the huge lake. Dark clouds had formed westward beyond the trees. Lightning occasionally flashed. Followed by distant thunder, he finished the donut and with a coffee cup in hand, he walked down the hill toward the lake. Jerry's undershirt lay on the grass near the shore. Jones could barely see the middle of the lake. Hey, Jerry! It's thunder! You gotta get back here! Jones shook his head as he turned toward the dense, dark clouds in the distance above the hillside. He's insane! Occasional raindrops hit his skin as the cloud edges moved directly overhead. He finished his coffee and started back up the hill. By the time he reached the cabin porch, the clouds blocked the sun in the east. The raindrops were heavy and the air was cold. He glanced back to the lake. He did not see Jerry. He must have known about that storm, he said out loud. He brought the newspapers and Jerry's clothes back in the cabin. Outside, rain exploded from the sky. Water soon gushed off the roof and cut ravines into the dirt below. Inside the doorway, Jones folded his arms in the cooler air and thought maybe Jerry had swum several miles to the far side of the lake. He placed a 911 call to the local police and informed them of Jerry's swimming stunt. They told him boats would be sent out into the lake. He gave his name and they had his number and assured him they would keep him briefed. Headlights shone through the rain-drenched air up the hill. As the hum of the engine grew louder, the wipers swished waves of water over the windshield. Jones recognized the white Audi. He stepped onto his porch. The convertible, top up, sailed through the rain and into the carport. In a blue hooded raincoat, Wilmot hurried into the building. Jones debated running through the rain up to the main office. His heart pounded at the thought of confronting her about Davis's murder. She emerged a couple of minutes later and got into the Audi and drove out of the carport. Joan stuck behind the porch support as she zipped down the center road, pushing water onto the grass. The taillights glowed in the pounding rain outside the third cabin near the lake. He grabbed his windbreaker from the chair and ran into the rain. Lightning brightened the cabin grounds and rain pattered against his hood like rounded copper BBs shot from a gun. He slowed near a cabin. The inside lamps cast a warm glow and Wilmont set her blue rain parker on the chair back. As he climbed the porch steps, he did not believe she had killed Brad Davis. The rain cascaded into linear puddles as Jones spoke clearly through the screen door. Zoe? She kept her back to him. Jones, you're a smart one. You are on the phone to AAA at the Marlboro. Wilmot slowly turned. Her dark eyes looked dazed. She took several steps toward him. They faced each other on either side of the screen door. Zoe, what happened up here? She raised her dark-trimmed brows for a moment and sighed. You found everything else out. I'm surprised you don't know that. I don't. She opened the screen door. Thank you. Take off your coat, Matthias. Sit down if you want. Jones pulled the chair across the wood floor, but remained standing with his hands on the chair back. Davis hurt your friend. Did he kill her? She shook her head, lingered at the door, and folded her long arms across her white jersey. What Brad Davis did was worse than murder. In the silver light of the thunderstorm, tears descended her smooth white cheeks. Jones rounded the chair as she fried. She reached out slowly, and he held her as she cried into his windbreaker. It's all right, Zoe. Her eyes reflected the lightning flashes. She lay in a coma, Matthias. For what? Because she didn't do what he wanted her to do in the rowboat right out there on the lake. Then he raped her. No. He smashed her with an oar. And then he pushed her into the water. She fought to stay afloat as he rode away. She was underwater long enough to sustain permanent brain damage. You know, oxygen deprivation. It's my fault. Why is it your fault? Because I insisted my parents bring Floy up here from New Jersey when we went on summer vacation. Wait, did Davis save her? asked Jones as he wiped her eyes. No, a man on shore saw her in the water. Davis had rowed around the cove guy dove into the lake, swam out, and made repeated dives. He brought her up, but she had been down there a long time. My first question, Zoe, he said softly, relates to Davis. I don't understand. Why didn't he go to jail? They had no proof. Brad Davis denied that he was the one rowing away. But I know for a fact that Brad brought her out in that boat. I let her go in that boat, Jones. And the Fletchers brought him to Hamilton College. Genius dismisses character flaws. So does money, he said. "Floey is institutionalized back in Binghamton. That's where I've been. Her parents are dead. She recognized me. Her cognition is minimal. Floey wanted to be a doctor. She was a straight-A student, 16 years old. Am I glad Brad Davis was shot to death? Yes! I'd like to give the person who killed him a million dollars. You had a key to Amy Pollard's apartment. Still do. "'Somebody got that key, and either they had another key made "'or used it to gain entry into Pollard's apartment,' she nodded. "'I used Amy for my own ends against Brad, and now look what's happened. "'I understand that was wrong, but how were you to know that Davis was going to be killed? "'Why was he killed? Did he owe money? I'm sure he did. He had to have owed money.' "'He led her over to the table and then removed a bottle of water from a small refrigerator. "'Brad laughed at me when I threatened to pressure the Fletchers publicly.' and the Fletchers would never receive me. She drank from the water bottle. I had my own story about Brad Davis written and was ready to go forward to discredit him, but somebody killed him. I apologize for this emotional outpouring. Thunder shook the cabin, and the rain continued to splash against the asphalt and gush down the gutter. You're entitled. Zoe propped her elbows on the table. Her moist, lively eyes were bordered by thin, dark brows and her subtle lips were neatly outlined with a smile Jones had never seen. I gave you a lot of grief. Look, Zoe. No, I did. And for that, I'm sorry. I just didn't want you to know all this. I tried to push Brad, but it never worked. I continuously harassed him. But justice has been served, hasn't it? But not by me. Davis used a small boat out of Hanson's Marina. He traveled north and up the Pequonicate River. The trip was less than an hour. I'm not aware of this. Did he do drugs? Yes, I am aware of that. He had nothing to do with selling drugs, and I don't think he dealt in drugs. Brad let other people do the dirty work in his life. I think the package that Captain Kendall saw was something other than drugs. For Fiore? Yeah. Ever meet Fiore? No. She drank more water. But I met people from Boston at the lake house, Lenny the Falcon and Jake Corbis. Oh, Lenny. What did they want? They just hung out a lot, but they were always looking around. Anything strange that would relate to that package? She shook her head. No. Jones walked back to the screen door. Fury knows. Because Fury made some big money on that package, I assure you he's very worried that the real murderer will be found. Wait. The Falcon. He mentioned some guy named Kando several times over the course of a few months. I assume he's another one of Fury's guys. Ever meet Kando? No, she said as she teared up again. And not telling Amy about Brad was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Jones assured her as the storm pummeled the landscape. Everything said in her cabin would remain confidential. She stood abruptly and returned to the door. Her tall form was silhouetted against the dark, continuous lightning flashes. He gripped the door frame as a motion surged and her voice quivered. I tried to tell her about Brad even before she went out on the lake. Jones held her shoulders from behind. Then she put herself in harm's way, Zoe. I'm sure she sensed what kind of guy he was from the get-go. Jones peered into the foggy morass down by the lake. Jerry was a fool for not having returned to shore. His recklessness this time may have cost him his life. Question. Where did you get the gun? I didn't. I told her she needed a gun for her protection once she got involved with Brad. No, I agree, but where did she get it? She told me somebody on campus. Somebody on campus knew where she could get a gun. On campus? Who on campus? I wonder if the Fletches know about that. She refused on a number of occasions to tell me who got her the gun. Zoe, the person who got her the gun had access to the apartment and had to be linked to Albert Fiore. What can we do now? We're going back to Hamilton, and we're going to find out from Amy Pollard, a uh, Merkel-Jerkle, who gave her that gun. Wilmot laughed. I put up a good front, but I did think that was funny. Let's wait until the storm clears. I have to check something, then we'll head back. I think you should leave your car here. They're looking for it. There's an all-points bulletin out for you. Okay, we'll put it in a parking garage in Binghamton. Good idea. Let's get going. Murder at Toby Lake by R.P. Fitton Chapter 17 Before leaving, Jones called Franny at the Colonial House. Although concerned for his safety, she seemed relieved he was all right. Jones would give no details. Nobody mentioned traveling with Wilmot in the passenger seat. He did ask her to find out if anyone in town knew somebody named Kando. He crossed the New York line late in the afternoon. The signal to the police back in Ithaca, New York finally stabilized. Is there any sign of the body? asked Jones. I have no control over the sky.
1: We have the car, nineteen sixty-two Ford Thunderbird, registered in Key Largo, Florida. We're in the process of contacting people in Key Largo, and we'll keep you informed, Mr.
0: Jones. That man is like the Terminator. All right, I'll talk to you later. Well, he's pulled his final stunt. Nobody survives a heavy thunderstorm in the middle of one of the Finger Lakes. Jones looked at the Berkshire slopes ahead. I think. Jones drove across the hills into Massachusetts. He had formed a scenario in his mind. One of Fiore's people probably persuaded Pollard to head over to the lake house. Jones was sure because Pollard was not talking that Fiore was involved in the murder of Brad Davis. That meant Lenny the Falcon or Jake Corbis. Yet Kendo was always in the shadows. As he moved through the Berkshire Rises, his cell phone sounded. Jones... Hello, Nigel. Where
1: are you? I can hardly hear your
0: signal. Just a little trip. I won't keep you. I've just gotten off the phone with Hamilton
1: Fletcher. Apparently Lark's been calling him for about a month. Lark and Froggy Finley will be assisting you in your summer practices.
0: Nigel, he said loudly, I really don't believe that's a good idea. Wilmont sat up.
1: Well, you know what happens when Hamilton makes up
0: his mind. I'll call Carl and then I'll call Hamilton. Froggy and Lark are like Laurel and Hardy.
1: I don't think you're going to win this one, Matthias. Just keep Lark pacified.
0: Nigel, I would only ask one question. What's that? Are you better off than you were two years ago? Point made. He ended the call and Wilmot stared at him. Trouble at the college? Jones grinned. Lark has a certain mentality. I heard he didn't have a very good record. Zoe? That's the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Jones dialed Carl Rogers' cell phone. You want another sandwich? asked Zoe, handing him the takeout bag. Jones slipped on the speakerphone and took the sandwich. Carl's voicemail answered. This is Carl
1: Rogers, assistant coach at Hamilton College, Hamilton, New Hampshire. I'm away from my phone, but I surely want to talk to you, leave a message, and I certainly will return your call.
0: The speaker beeped. Carl, Matthias, here's the deal. The Fletchers are pushing to have Lark help us at summer practices. It appears as though we have no choice. Our task, my friend, is to divert, divert, divert. Keep Lark spinning in circles. Enjoy the great Northwest. It took me forever to boot out Lark's assistant, Froggy Finley, and hire Carl. I had over 50 candidates apply for the job before I got him from Arizona. Well, least a young guy. I met him briefly at one of the faculty meetings in Nigel's home. While Froggy, he's been around the block a few times. Very impulsive and pushy. I think Locke's poor record can be attributed directly to listening to Froggy Finley. And now they want both of those jokers at my practices? Where is Carl now? Carl's back home in Washington. He hurt his ankle in a pothole right in front of my house. They finally filled the pothole last week. So he looked out the window. Where are we? Up in the Berkshires, we'll head north once we get to Worcester. We're in the middle of nowhere here. He shifted as they zoomed up a continuous incline. Carl's been a great addition to me. He understands one thing. What's that? How to win. She inhaled and looked out the window. You don't like that. She continued staring out the window. No, I've competed. I understand. I just keep thinking about Amy in that jail cell. Mr. X and the gun. Did she even know how to fire a gun? I don't know. Jones brought the Jeep over the hill and then started down a long grade with the signs that were posted for drivers to check their brakes. Amy knows who Kendo is, and she's probably already figured out that he set her up. And she knows Fiore could kill her if she makes any trouble. Jones, I agree about Merkel Brown. Really? I think she's done nothing. What about your guy, Bentley? Amy has to request a new lawyer. She nodded once. I'll see what I can do. I will talk to her. Wait, I'll call LG right now and see what he says. Jones pushed the speed dial. LG's secretary, Dolores Reed, answered the call. Family Associates. Dolores, this is Matthias Jones. Oh, hello, Matthias. How are you? I'm fine. Is LG in?
1: Well, he's in court this morning. Should be back around 1 or one
0: thirty. Jones thought for a second. I'm trying behind the scenes to have Amy Pollard get better representation. I understand. The question I have is about her attorney now. Just my intuition. It's as if she's dragging her feet. LG said that all along. Who is she? Campus legal aid, said Wilmont. I can relay your concerns to LG. Please, I appreciate it. I'll
1: have him call
0: you. Thanks. Bye. Wilmont held his risk. Why would Mirko Brown hold things up? Perhaps we should find out who she is other than campus legal aid. Jones' cell phone rang. He took the call off speaker. Jonesy. What's up? I just found out Kando is linked to
1: higher-ups in Rhode Island, Arizona, and the West Coast. He is a professional killer.
0: We were just talking about him. What do you mean, we? I'm with Zoe Wilmot. Who's that? Asked Wilmot. Jones shook his head. What, you stupid? The cop's having an arrest warrant out on her. We're in a jeep just outside of Springfield. I think this Kando was the source for Pollard's gun. And had access to the apartment. Yeah, I get it. Set her up for Fiore.
1: He must have known about the boat run and the pickup of that package off Hamilton Bay.
0: Yeah, that about sums it up.
1: I'm sending Dulio to Rhode Island. We need to find out about Kando.
0: Who's Dulio?
1: Don't worry about it. I'll talk to you.
0: Wilmot put her bare feet back on Jones's dash and folded her arms. Okay, Jones, how much further to Hamilton? Another couple of hours. Then what? Where do we go? How do we find Cando? We go to church. Gallagher's porch light popped on. Jones's watch hands were straight up at midnight. He called Gallagher five times before the priest finally agreed to let Wilmont sleep in the guest bedroom and Jones in the lower bedroom. Jones parked in the lot behind the rectory, then they headed to the front porch. The orange-haired Gallagher tied his bathrobe and gazed over his reading glasses. You two have been traveling quite a while. Please come in. Thanks, Jim. Zoe so is innocent. Gallagher leaned out the screen door and looked both ways. Then he shut the door. Well, I hope so. Miss Wilmot, there is a second bathroom at the end of the hall. Thank you, Father. I think I'll get some rest. Sure. It's the last bedroom on the right. She turned to Jones and pecked him on the cheek. Thanks for all you've done, Matthias. Let me know what you need. and Thanks again, Father. Gallagher nodded as Wilmon headed up the stairs. How do you know she's innocent? Coco is checking it out. Oh, well, where is he? Is he in on this? Absolutely not, said Jones. Kevin Phillips, thank God he called me yesterday about you and Coco. You've done the right thing, Father. That's what you always tell me. I can tell you the story now or tomorrow morning. I'm having Irish coffee, Matthias. What can I get you, a brandy? Hot chocolate. Gallagher raised his brows. I'll spice it up. Half an hour later, Jones finished the large mug of hot chocolate laced with brandy. He leaned toward Gallagher. Kando killed Davis, and Kando works for Fiore. Let me give you some friendly advice. You should let the police handle this, said Gallagher. Lane has been paid off to frame Pollard. I know he has. He fixed the tests on the gun. Even George Strickland says there's nothing we can do. Coco has somebody trying to locate Kando. He worked for somebody in Rhode Island and for Fiore. Somehow he weasel his way into Pollard's life. Pollard knew that Davis knew Desiree Paradise and was murdered by Fiore's thugs. Kando, I'm convinced, stole her gun. Oh Lord, why did she have a gun? Father, look at the crowd she hung out with. I don't think you're going to find this Kando. No, but Coco will. Jones woke by the vibration of his cell phone. He sat up in the first floor bedroom. Answer your damn phone. Where you been, Jonesy? Jones sat up. What time is it?
1: Fifteen minutes after the last time I called.
0: You're not on the ship.
1: Never mind where I am. Meet me down the coast, New Bedford, Wells Square. I'll handle the rest. When? Noon.
0: Who's Kando? Then they come after me. You want to solve this Jonesy or what? Be there. Murder at Toby Lake by R.P. Fitton Chapter 18 Jones signaled for the exit and left the interstate. Several cars were abandoned in the vacant lots ahead. He slowed and moved by dilapidated tenements. The road extended into the city and the harbor beyond. He turned into an apartment complex and looped back around to the street. He drove all the way back to the highway and then put on the brakes. As he took out his cell phone, Coco opened the side door and leaped in the Jeep. Take the interstate to Providence, Jonesy. He wore denim jeans and a matching jacket. No band-aid covered his less swollen brow. His silver cross earring dangled and he smelled of smoke and salt. How are you doing? I gotta do something different. I'm gonna build something right under Crescent Street. So if I have to get taken out of action, I can stay right there. That boat was like a jail cell. My back is still killing me. What would you do, build yourself a bunker? No, it would be plush, Jonesy. He arched his back. We have to locate Kando. Is Kando even around? I think he is, and my connection wouldn't be having this meeting. Plus, they don't want the cops finding out about somebody who worked for them and went to Fiore, and then was used to kill Davis and set up Pollet. Kevin Phillips has been by the rectory. Wilmot is with Gallagher. "'How'd you talk Gallagher into that?' Jones rocketed back onto the interstate. "'Well, it wasn't easy. Well, I hope she keeps her mouth shut. "'Davis brutally killed Flowey. He didn't even know Wilmont knew, "'and if he had lived, he probably would have killed Wilmont. "'Then he deserved to be whacked. "'He headed along the straightaway toward Providence. "'Do you need anything to eat?' "'No, I'm okay. Let's look at the scenario,' said Jones." You find out who and where Kando is right now, and I say, drop all that information to the cops. Oh, really? Come on, Jonesy, use your head. They're not going to sit back and let you finger Kando to the cops. First of all, they'll come after me. Second, you go down, too. Then what am I supposed to do? Just find out where the bastard is first. We need a plan. Okay, we pressure and we maneuver Kando. Make him screw up and incriminate himself and how do we do that? I'll take care of it. Jones remained with Coco at an outside table at a restaurant in Newport, Rhode Island, overlooking the Blue Bay. Three men in casual darkers and open-collar shirts sat around a glass table with a floral umbrella. The older man with silver hair placed orders for pastries and coffee. Then he leaned toward Jones and Coco and folded his hands. No introductions were given. So how long have you been with Coco? He asked in a heavy Rhode Island accent, caught somewhere between New York, New Jersey, and Boston. I've known him for a couple years. And how are you doing, Coco? I've been better. I'm sure you have. Coco had still not mentioned the man's name. Well, Kando didn't show up on my doorstep until last year. He had references on the West Coast. I was impressed by his ability to follow orders. Jones' cell phone rang. Sorry. No, take it. Thank you. Jones walked along the buildings. Hello, Matthias Jones. Coach, this is Zoe. Zoe, I told you, this is an important meeting. Listen to me. I haven't got time for this right now. I'm sorry. I'm afraid this candle will kill Amy. She's safe in the jail cell. They have extra men out there now. He looked at Coco and the men back at the umbrella table. Look how they got to your friend Coco. Are you still with Gallagher? Have him call me when he's done. Don't go anywhere. Are you saying
1: Kando's still around?
0: That is exactly what I'm saying. Jones tucked the cell phone in his shorts pocket. Coco set down his coffee and looked up at Jones as he returned to the table. Sorry about the interruption. No problem, said the gray-haired man. He wiped his lips with a napkin. Coco, you just make sure you make that cell phone call I told you about. We'll leave well enough alone. Thank you, sir. I, uh... the proposal has great merit. The three men stood. The older man shook Jones's hand. Then they moved down a brick walkway, through a fence gate, and into a white Cadillac. Jones leaned toward Coco. Who was that guy? Let me give you some friendly advice, Jonesy. Don't stick your nose in where it doesn't belong. Whatever you say. Let's get out of here. They want Kando dead. Jones stood, covering their tracks. Exactly. He's probably fled the area. Coco held his arm as he tried to move through the walkway. You don't know nothing. This isn't some game. Jones looked down at his arm and Coco released his grip. Coco then threw down a $50 bill and they started down the walkway. He must have used the kayak to cross Toby Lake and kill Davis with the gun that he convinced Paula to buy. And then he lured her over there to the lake house. Yeah, well, you need to call Phillips. I thought you didn't like the cops. I don't. They want the cops to kill Kando. Why would they kill him? Asked Jones as he pushed his keychain to open the Jeep. I have no idea. I just do what I'm told. They got inside the Jeep. What about Hamilton Fletcher? I can't answer that, Jonesy. Strickland's name was on Jones' screen seven times. Jones returned the call. And the line rang on the speakerphone, and then silence ensued. George? Somebody named Kando killed Davis and framed Pollard. What? Asked Strickland, coming to life. Have
1: you lost your mind?
0: You don't understand. I have information.
1: Where have you been, Matthias? Where's Dr. Wilmont?
0: Jones moved up a state highway back to Massachusetts. Give me one bit of evidence about this Kando. I don't have any evidence. We'll need statements
1: from both you and Wilmont. Matthias, we're good friends, but we're not communicating.
0: I couldn't call you, George. Fury would have come after me and Wilmot. I have no choice.
1: 6 p.m., Prince William Police
0: Station. Coco looked up at Jones as Strickland hung up. You can bet your ass Lane will be there, Jonesy. You better call Bentley right now. You're right. Herbert would like nothing more than to press charges on me. It's time to put the pressure on Pollard. She has to know who Kando is. You're dropping me off when we get across the line into Massachusetts. There's a plaza. I'll take care of the rest. Then what? You let me worry about that, Jonesy. Next week, we will find answers as Murder at Toby Lake wraps up. There's more Jerry St. Clair, explanations for Pollard and Wilmot, and a real name for Candu. I'm RP Fitton. See you next time for the concluding episode of Toby Lake.